Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters, a bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time. I'm Scott B. Bomar. And I'm Paul Duncan. Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with us on social media by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com. Our guest on this episode of Songcraft is Diane Warren, an Emmy, Golden Globe, and Grammy winner with 11 Academy Award nominations for Best Original Song. The Songwriters Hall of Famer and ASCAP Founders Award winner is known for a long list of hits, including Rhythm of the Night, Blame It on the Rain, Because You Loved Me, Don't Turn Around, Unbreak My Heart, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, and How Do I Live. She'll join us in a moment to talk about her wide-ranging career and her upcoming first-ever studio album, The Cave Sessions, Volume 1. Part 1. You know, Paul, uh, just about a week ago um, was the Super Bowl. Right. And, um... It was, uh, you know, not the greatest game. No, but you um, played well. <laughs> thank you. I, I pride myself. Um, but uh, it, I always enjoy watching the commercials. Right. Um, that's always a, a feature of Super Bowl. Um, there's always some interesting music usage there, too, which is noteworthy for, you know, guys like us. Right. Um, but one commercial that caught my attention this year, not for the music, but for the musician in it, is Bruce Springsteen. Yep. And uh, there was this Jeep commercial, and it was kind of partial Jeep commercial, partial kind of call for national unity and, you know, embracing what we have in common more than what divides us. And there's been strong reactions to this commercial, both positive and negative, from both sides of the political aisle. And the whole thing was further complicated by these recent revelations of a, a legal scrape involving Bruce that cause Jeep to uh, suspend the campaign, at least temporarily. But mostly the whole time during the commercial, I was just thinking how cool Bruce Springsteen is. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got like a, he's got like a jean jacket on and then like some other jacket on top of that. And then at the end of the thing, he walks out, you know, this building to go get in his Jeep and he puts on this uh, like cowboy hat, I guess. Yeah. He's got these like leather gloves on, you know, working man gloves and, gets in a Jeep and drives away. It's super rugged. It's like, you know, super middle America. It's just cool. Yeah. And then I thought, how is it that this guy from New Jersey can pull this off? And I don't think he's a poser at all. I think With he's his really like cool. cowboy hat vibes. And, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, Bruce, and he's sort of come out lately and, and been kind of upfront about this, that, that he's generally playing characters in the songs right. that he writes. Right. I mean, Bruce never worked a day in a factory in his life, right? Um, but he's certainly been able to kind of convey that that um, that feeling and that that character in his songs. Um, and, and I guess you know he just has also become comfortable now. Like the Western Stars record that he put out, right, was very much about kind of um, you know the 20th century American West. That was the best Glenn Campbell album that's ever been made, <laughs> exactly. by the way. <laughs> um, you know, it had some kind of like, uh, and some Hollywood, some singing cowboy kind of vibes to it as well. Um, but I thought he did that seamlessly. And the only other person that I think of that, that has been able to kind of like embody so many kind of different locations in his character and personality would be Frank Sinatra. Hmm. Um, also from New Jersey, by the way. 
Um, but, you know, Frank Sinatra, just by, by way of his songs, you know, New York, New York. And so you're like, Frank, dude, he's so New York. Right. But then he's got like Chicago, my kind of town. You're like, oh, Frank, he's so <laughs> Chicago. Right. But he's so Palm Springs and he's so Hollywood and he's so Miami and he's so Vegas as well. <laughs> Right. Um, and all of those feel like consistent parts of his personality. Um, and I, I think Bruce has been able to pull off the same thing. Yeah, it's it, it's a rare thing. And I don't know what the 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 magic sauce is, because I know that Bruce is not a Midwestern cowboy, but I totally buy him as one. Yeah. And, you know, I think about like when madonna years ago kind of like went through a phase where she was wearing like chaps and a cowboy hat and i was like eh, well speaking with it. a british accent right <laughs> right <laughs> but then like you know lady gaga can wear like a meat dress and then uh go and be like doing duets with tony bennett and i'm not like come on lady gaga that's not you like i feel like she has a lot of personas and i and i sort of like buy into all of them so it's funny you know well i i think you know with with lady gaga it would it would have been hard to switch to the meat dress mid-career <laughs> right. but i think because she kind of came out and yeah. said this is who i am from the outset you're like oh meat right. dress yeah like if if natalie cole went like meat dress right now would be like <laughs> that's weird yeah <laughs> i have a feeling that would be looked at oddly yeah. <laughs> um right. and bruce springsteen has has built up a wealth of public trust wouldn't you say yeah, definitely. I think he's kind of like, he, he sort of fits into the category of, of Dolly Parton and Tom Hanks, where like everybody likes Bruce. And, and I think, you know, maybe the whole core of actually what he was saying in this commercial about the middle um, is that even when Bruce is wearing a cowboy hat or if he's, you know, wearing like coveralls from some sort of like, you know, steel factory, do, do they wear coveralls at steel factories? <laughs> well, last time I worked <laughs> um, at one, they sure did. I'm belying my ignorance, but <laughs> that that those two, you know, men that he's sort of representing in those in those different you know environments may kind of be the same guy at heart, have the same goals and the same dreams and the same motivations. Right. Uh, and maybe that's where he finds the middle is understanding that that these you know sort of the working class of America and and their concerns and their hopes are not all that different based on on location. Yeah, I think there's like the authenticity question there, which probably is what makes Bruce a fabulous songwriter is, you know, he, he has told us that some of these songs are completely made up. He writes like a, like a novelist. He invents characters and he writes about them. But um, there's a, a certain integrity to what he does that, you know, that he believes it. Yeah. And you know that, you know, when Lady Gaga's wearing the meat dress, she believes it as much <laughs> as she believes it when she's, you know, in a Oscar nominated film, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Is there anything like not to believe about the meat dress? I mean, like, I, I, I just, I don't believe this. I don't. Well, I think I, when I saw it, I was like, I don't believe this. If it was like an impossible dress <laughs> and it's not real meat, that that's, might be the part that I don't believe. The, I don't believe that's meat. That's <laughs> the, the impossible dress. I like that. But yeah, I mean, there's like, I think Willie Nelson is another artist who to me has that kind of like integrity. And you don't, you, you, you don't assume that Willie Nelson is doing something for crassly like commercial reasons. I right. remember he did a reggae album a few years ago and uh, I actually really like it, but it's like, I don't feel like there's a lot of country artists. Like if Tim McGraw right now was like, I'm doing a reggae album, I'd be like, come <laughs> on, dude. Like, what are you doing? But well, like again, with that's... Willie, it's just like, 
I, yeah, there's a trust, there's an integrity level where it's like, yeah, do whatever you want, man. And, and maybe some of that trust is also built on, on having tried new things in the past as well. You know, right. uh, you know, Bruce with the Human Touch and Lucky Town albums. I mean, th- those were risky albums for him. You know, anytime he stepped away from the E Street Band and sort of stepped away from the, you know, what people knew of him, a song like Streets of Philadelphia right. was was kind of a risk and a change for him. Um, so, I, I, you know, Bono and U2 are kind of the same way. Like, they, they took enough risks in the early 90s that now we're like, well, I think we're here for whatever you want to try. Right. Um, you know, for, for better or for worse. Yeah, we we came along for the ride uh, at the time, and so now we're we're good to be flexible. We trust you. We we know you're not gonna to mess with us. We're we're good. You know, spe- speaking of trust, we have a sponsor on this show that that brings you know a lot of our episodes to you, and a lot of you have shown trust in Pearl Snap Studios to take your songs to the next level. See how I did that, by the way. Nice. That was an excellent transition. But it's true. You do have to have a lot of trust if you write a song and you put all your heart and soul into that song, and you want somebody to help it get to the next level and to get realized in a recorded format that's really going to bring it you know, to the people, <laughs> to make it pitchable. Right. Um, Pearl Snap Studios is somebody you can trust with that. Whether you are working in a factory up in the East Coast or whether you're a singing Hollywood cowboy, whatever your persuasion happens to be, Pearl Snap Studios is the place to go with your songs. And, you know, you might not know Justin Morgan and his team at Pearl Snap Studios um, to, to know whether or not to trust them. But you do know us and we're vouching for you Justin. You trust us. Yeah, you trust us. I mean, we're basically like family. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> you. Uh, By the way, we want that five dollars back. <laughs> and you forgot my birthday card. Yes. Um, we'll be speaking about it at, at Thanksgiving <laughs> in a tense manner. Um, but uh uh, no, Justin is is a guy that we absolutely vouch for. Um, he's somebody that we know personally and uh, and have a lot of respect for, um, aside from the great work that he does with his business. So um, if you've got that song that you've just got in your head or maybe down on a really rough uh, recording on your phone or your computer or whatever, and you think, you know, it's this is one of my best songs. It's time to it's time to go to the next level and put this down on a recording. Go to pearlsnapstudios.com and if you tell them that Songcraft sent you, you even get a discount. You want to know how you know you can trust Justin? How's that? I left a hat at his house one time. Mm. And he kept that thing and gave it back to me a couple months later when I came back. I thought you were just going to say he kept it. <laughs> yeah, you can trust him to take your stuff. Yeah. yeah, you can trust him to take your stuff and turn it into a great pitchable demo. <laughs> he turned my hat into a high-quality pitchable demo. <laughs> Part two. Well, in our last episode, we talked a bit about some of our you know, uh, guests that we had talked to who had great athletic careers, and we right. mentioned Jim Weatherly. And then in, in the weeks between, we found out that Jim Weatherly had passed. Um, and I thought it would be really fitting for us to take a moment to recognize that, um, you know, not only someone, uh, a great songwriter with the, the Gladys Knight catalog and, um, someone who was a great interview as well, but someone that you knew personally. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I, I was probably around 11 and Jim Weatherly lived on the street, uh, behind my parents' house, the house where I grew up in. And, um, I was, you know, an enterprising young man, as you know, now that I'm, I'm an enterprising old man. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, I had a little lawn mowing business and, uh, I didn't know who Jim Weatherly was when I was 11, but I just went and knocked on his door and was like, Hey, you know, 
your grass looks like it could use a touch up. <laughs> and uh, so he hired me to mow his grass. So I, I don't remember how many summers uh, I, I wound up doing that. Um, but I mowed Jim Weatherly's grass for a few years. I quickly discovered that he was uh, a famous songwriter um, when I mentioned to my dad whose house I'd been, you know, at and whose grass I'd mowed. He's like, you know, that guy's wrote Midnight Train to Georgia. And I was like, oh, well, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, when you look at his accomplishments, um, you know, Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, Songwriters Hall of Fame in New York, um, ASCAP Country Songwriter of the Year, uh, number one hits on the country and pop charts, had his songs recorded by everyone from, you know, Garth Brooks to, you know, of course, all the Gladys Knight stuff. She did a, a, a bunch of his um, yeah. recordings. Uh, Neither One of Us Wants to Be the First to Say Goodbye is another total highlight it's an incredible uh, song from his catalog um so not only was he just supremely talented but as the former lawn boy i can attest a <laughs> genuinely kind man like very just warm and friendly and kind of quiet and a little reserved but just genuinely good guy well it's it's such a nashville growing up story you know you just sort of <laughs> right. accidentally it happened upon the lawn of a, a legendary songwriter. Right. Um, you know, th- those songs are just untouchable. So, yeah. so good. I was in a session the other day and, and referenced, neither one of us wants to be the first to say goodbye, pulled it up, listened to it in the session, and watched everybody's mouths drop open. Yeah. Uh, just what a great song it is. Um, and uh, amazing that, that he wrote all that stuff solo. Yeah. You know, yeah. just just a storyteller through and through. Um, and someone that, that we were just thrilled to have on the podcast um and uh really sorry to to hear of his passing yeah yeah absolutely it was uh i think um 2017 he was he was episode number 75 so if you have not uh if you've not heard that episode of songcraft i do encourage you to go um and get to know jim weatherly's career and and get to know uh his heart because he was a a great guy and um definitely uh somebody that the songwriting and and nashville music community will will miss um and uh you know it's just reminds us again why we do this show and why we capture these stories and celebrate these people who have given um so much to to our culture part three Songwriters Hall of Famer Diane Warren is an Emmy, Golden Globe, and Grammy winner, with a total of 15 Grammy nominations to her credit, who has been honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and is perhaps one of the most successful pop songwriters of all time. Her long list of top 10 pop hits includes Rhythm of the Night by DeBarge, I Get Weak by Belinda Carlisle, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now and Set the Night to Music by Starship, Who Will You Run To by Heart. I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love and Look Away by Chicago, Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli, How Can We Be Lovers and When I'm Back on My Feet Again by Michael Bolton, I'll Be Your Shelter and Love Will Lead You Back by Taylor Dane, If I Could Turn Back Time and Just Like Jesse James by Cher, and When I See You Smile by Bad English. But those are just a few highlights from the 1980s. In the 90s, she became a five-time ASCAP Pop Songwriter of the Year and was named Billboard Pop Songwriter of the Year for three years in a row thanks to writing hits such as If You Asked Me To and Because You Loved Me for Celine Dion, Don't Turn Around for Ace of Bass, For You I Will for Monica, The One I Gave My Heart To for Aaliyah, Unbreak My Heart for Tony Braxton, Have You Ever for Brandy, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing for Aerosmith, I Turn to You for Christina Aguilera, Music of My Heart for Gloria Estefan, and How Do I Live for Leanne Rhymes, which became the longest-running song in Billboard chart history. 
Warren has earned 11 Academy Award nominations for Best Original Song between 1988 and 2020, including Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, Because You Loved Me, How Do I Live, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, Till It Happens to You, which was a collaboration with Lady Gaga, Stand Up for Something, which was a collaboration with Common, and I'll Fight from the film RBG. She has continued to have her songs recorded by a wide range of artists in recent years, including Born to Be Somebody by Justin Bieber, I Was Here by Beyonce, Only Love Can Hurt Like This by Paloma Faith, and To Get Here by Willie Nelson. Other artists who've recorded her songs include Barbara Streisand, Johnny Mathis, Jennifer Hudson, Patti LaBelle, Dionne Warwick, Roy Orbison, Al Green, Rod Stewart, Ringo Starr, Eric Clapton, Bette Midler, Lionel Richie, Faith Hill, Trisha Yearwood, Reba McIntyre, Bon Jovi, Alice Cooper, Kiss, Joan Jett, Mariah Carey, Mary J. Blige, Jesse J., Demi Lovato, Carrie Underwood, Adele, Diana Ross, Aretha Franklin, and Whitney Houston. A recipient of the prestigious ASCAP Founders Award, Warren has recently completed her first studio album, The Cave Sessions Volume 1, which features John Legend, Celine Dion, Mary J. Blige, Jason Derulo, Ty Dolla Sign, LP, and Darius Rucker, who performs the lead single, Times Like This. Diane, welcome to Songcraft. Hi. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to speak with you. Um, you know, you've done almost everything that there is to do in the music world, except release a studio album, at least until now. Um, your <laughs> upcoming album, The Cave Sessions, Volume 1, features a collection of new songs performed by a range of guests, including Darius Rucker, who sings Times Like This. In times like this, we could all use a name. I was listening to the lyric in the bridge of that song. It says, times are tough, but I know we'll get through it. Don't give up because I know we can do it. Keep the faith because God knows we can use it in times like this. I don't know when that song was written, but those lyrics definitely address what we're going through right now. Is that something that you actually wrote once the, the whole COVID thing started? Yeah, it was about a month into the pandemic, you know, and I was I was just sitting at, at, at the keyboard, my keyboards, and I just started singing that chorus you know and it just all the stuff was was just starting to happen we were all you know under lockdown and i just this the song this really hopeful song you know started writing itself you know mm. and um i just you know the first thing i came up with in times like this we could all use an angel yeah i just got oh. that's that's kind of good you know i'm gonna keep going with this and then you know i know it's a mess but it all can be fixed with with some love and some kindness in times yeah. like this you know so yeah it definitely and, and the cool thing about it is if it felt very timely you know and and yet if it, it feels really timeless at the yeah, same right. time yeah it, it's got that inspirational quality that could apply to uh it, it, it works so well in the current situation but you can imagine all the other situations that it would address as well it could work in any, i mean there's always i mean there's never a time we don't we don't need an angel we just we just particularly need one more a little more now maybe yeah. right yeah yeah well you know that that kind of brings up the the larger question there's a universality to to so many of your lyrics where 
people can connect with these songs on a number of different levels, you know, yeah. and, and, and they feel personal yet they feel personal to everyone, which is universal, you know, and that, that's a really interesting. That's quality. the idea, hmm. you know, to be honest, you know, like I remember, um, there was a music critic when I did the song Stand Up for Something, um, which was Andrew Day in Common. It was in, in the movie Marshall. Right. And some critic goes, you know, it's really a vague song, you know. It's, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking, well, not really. It's whatever you want to stand up for, you know. Like, <laughs> right. it's stand up for something. I don't have to, I don't have to you know. It, within the movie, it meant, it meant one thing. But um, mm. outside of the movie, you know, it could mean, you know, whatever you want, whatever you decide to stand up for, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah So sure. I, li- I, I, I do that. I like to keep the songs... You know, where, where they're not just one, meaning one thing. Right. Now, the title of this new album, The Cave Sessions, what does that refer to? Well, so, you know, years ago, um, Robert Hilburn, who was the Los Angeles Times music critic, um, d- they did a cover story on me in, in the calendar section. And he called my writing room The Cave. Mm. Now, it's not dark. It's not disgusting and dark. I mean, it's disgusting. But there's a lot of light because because the shades have all turned into dust, and I've been there, you know, over 30 years. I've never really cleaned it. Wow, wow. So, um, but you know, it, it so it kind of became known as the cave. You know, so a lot of those songs, a lot of my songs are written in that room. And the volume one is because there's going to be lots of volumes. I got lots of songs. <laughs> I can't even get all the ones I want on this one. I think I, yeah, I have a lot. Are you um, are you superstitious at all about writing kind of in that same location? I mean, it's just it just works for me. Mm. I have another room across the way, and then I have um, my studio. I have a building, you know, down the street, so I, I work here as well. Um, but I just, I, it's just comfortable for me. Well, let's go back to the early days. Um, one of the biggest of your many big hits is Because You Loved Me from the film Up Close and Personal, a number one Billboard pop hit for Celine Dion in 1996 that won a Grammy for Best Song Written for Visual Media. Um, it was also nominated for the Grammy Song of the Year as well as an Academy Award for Best Original Song. And I've heard you say in interviews that the lyrics of that song resonate with you in terms of thinking about your father and the support that he offered when you first got interested in being a songwriter. Um, talk a bit about what role your family and, and particularly your dad played in the development of your songwriting pursuits in those early days. Well, they, my mom and dad b- both played a part. My mom, you know, by telling me I couldn't do it, <laughs> you know, and um, like, I mean, but really, like, how? what are the chances of, you know, someone from Van Nuys with no no one in the music business, you know, making it in the music business? Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, my mom was like, how are you going to make a living at this, blah, 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 you know, your songs are great. Go, go to Ralph's and tell them how great your songs are and see how many groceries they give you, whatever <laughs> she used to say to me. Right. And then my dad... You know, within that song, I got to, it, I was thanking my dad for, for believing in me, you know. So that was my, my chance to do that. So, yeah, I tapped into that.
my mom was prob- probably just as valuable as I had to prove mm. her wrong. You know, and I'm, I'm <laughs> right. all about proving people wrong. I love to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you say that because you're very well known for your work ethic and your dedication to the craft of songwriting. But I'm curious to know how you honed that craft at a young age. Were there particular books or mentors whose wisdom you sought, or was it more about learning by doing and just, you know, putting in the sweat equity to get better and better? Just by doing it. I, I mean, it, I, th- I think anything that you that you get really good at, you know, wh- whether it's being an athlete or, or being a songwriter, it's you're doing it. You're, yeah. you're constantly, you know, you're constantly practicing. You're constantly working at it. You know, you're constantly writing. You're constantly, if you're an Olympic swimmer, swimmer you're building up your muscles, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it was learning as I went along, you know. It was listening to the radio and, you know, just you know, soaking it all in and, and being a sponge and being influenced by everything. Mm. And then there was a, a something called the Songwriter Showcase when I was 15 that um, Len Chandler and John Brahaney had. It was a showcase they had for publishers and songwriters would come and play. <clears throat> and I, um, they'd always turn me down so I would come there with all these songs and then eventually <laughs> they let me play. But they were, they were really, really encouraging. That was, yeah. that was good to have when I was 15, you mm. know. You scored your first top 10 hit in 1983, writing lyrics for Laura Branigan's Solitaire, and earned your first Grammy nomination the following year for your contributions to the Ghostbusters soundtrack. But your real breakthrough came in 1985 with Rhythm of the Night, a top five pop hit and number one adult contemporary hit for DeBarge. Yeah, that's what I, that's I don't consider in either of those first two things. Yeah. You know. You know, yeah, Rhythm of the Night was that's that, that was the one that kind of, you know, put me on the map, I guess. You know, I wrote it myself. It was a huge hit all over the world. Yeah. Well, in the wake of that early success, you established your own music publishing house, Real Songs, which today is a hugely successful publishing company. Um, talk about how you had the foresight at that early stage of your career to go your own way rather than joining forces with a big music company. Well, it wasn't really foresight. I was in, in a lawsuit with a publisher I was signed to, <laughs> and um, I couldn't sign with all the other people that wanted to sign me. My uh. lawyer goes, you know, yeah, you need you need to start a publishing company. I was like, yeah, but I don't want to. The, the, all these companies are offering me a lot of money and blah blah. And so basically, I started Real Songs, and and um, yeah, and I I was even surprised I could I could I got the name because you know I'm all about Real Songs, and um, yeah. So. I thought I thought some film company or somebody would have, you know, taken it R E E L or something. But right. you know, no one had it, and I, I started it, and the lawsuit settled. You know, I settled it myself. Yeah, you know, wow. with wow. them, and and I never looked back because all these songs I I mainly write on my own. I I own. So. Yeah, I, I'm curious because you know it's rare to find somebody who's kind of adept at. Um, business and also has a great instinct in terms of talent. Um, and you're somebody who has really balanced that creativity with kind of the, the, 
business mind in those early days um, when it was just, you know, you had just started your company, were you doing a lot of the, the pitching and, and, and kind of running the business yourself? Yeah, I, I always do. I always, it's, I'm very personal in my songs. I like to, um, you know, yeah, I've, 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 I've kind of, even though I have people working for me, I'm kind of, I'm still kind of, you know, it's hard for me to delegate. Hmm. Although the really businessy stuff I don't do. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I have, I have a licensing person and, and royalties and, and stuff like that. And yeah. I don't, do, I don't do any of that. I do the creative stuff. Right. And, right. and to me, you know, finding homes for my songs is, is it's like casting a part. And I, lo- huh. I, I, I actually love that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, in 1987, you scored your first number one hit and your first Oscar nomination for Best Original Song for Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, which Starship recorded for the soundtrack for the film Mannequin. Um, you wrote that with Albert Hammond, uh, with whom you wrote several songs in that era, including Don't Turn Around, which was originally recorded by Tina Turner, but best known in the version by Ace of Bass, and I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love, which was a hit for Chicago. Um, most of your hits were written solo, but I'd be curious to know, what was it about your your collaborations with Albert that worked so well in those early years. You know, I, th- we had we had something really cool. Like I, I think I learned about simplicity, like really, you know, like you know how to be great and be simple, like and not have a million chords and stuff like that. Mm. You know, and Albert's a great guy. We we had fun, you know, and you know, so it was a fun experience. I think we we just meshed you know really well together. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, kind of on that same you know, point of you, uh, writing so many of your songs, um, by yourself. Yeah. I have a good mesh with myself too. (laughs) You have good chemistry. (laughs) I never have to argue over a line. (laughs) The the splits are easy to work out too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those splits are way easy. (laughs) But you know, most writers often write with the artists and there's been examples. Certainly I think of like my Michael Bolton, how can we be lovers or Michael W. Smith's I will be here for you. you. You've definitely written, you know, with artists before. Um, but was that kind of a, a conscious decision on your part early on to primarily work solo versus working with artists? Yeah, I just, I really enjoy the, um, the process of writing by myself. I, you know, it, it's just what I do really, you know, hmm. Um, so I way prefer that. Not to put you on the spot, but did that sort of come out of, of negative experiences of working with, with artists? Yeah. I mean, there's been some positive, like me and Michael, that was always positive, you know, Michael Bolton, cause you know, we wrote some great songs together, but then he would, you know, do songs I wrote, like, you know, one of my favorite songs I ever wrote is a song called When I'm Back on My Feet Again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. To, to this day, I think it's one of my best songs. You know, maybe my best melody or, or one of them. When I'm back on my feet again, I will prowl down the street again, and they'll look at me again. And they'll see that I'm strong. Michael, you know, he was open to doing my songs. I, I wrote Time, Love, and Tenderness by myself, you know, and, and some other ones. So that actually was really cool because it, it was the combination of both, right? Like yeah. we'd write some stuff together. And he didn't, he didn't have an ego, you know, about if, if he didn't write it. I mean, yeah. you know, if he loved a song, he would do it. And, you know, and then, the, you know, but on the negative side with, other, with unnamed people, like if, if I wrote a song with an artist, they didn't do it, and I wrote most of that song, 
and then I have that artist's name on my song, you know? Yeah. I didn't like that. <laughs> right, right. Well, and also, I mean, a guy like Michael Bolton is a legit good songwriter, too. You oh, know? yeah. Michael's a great songwriter. Yeah. Yeah, we, wrote, we really did write together, as opposed to other things I've done in my life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, if, if I just sort of, like, look at, you know, we're, we're going now through the chronology, and if I look at, like, 89 into 90, and I just start listing a few songs, it, it begins to be dizzying for me. Um, I'm looking at Taylor Dane, I'll Be Sheltered, Love Will Lead You Back. Then Patti LaVelle, If You Ask Me To. Then I'm looking at Blame It On The Rain, which was giant. said blame it on the rain i had another song called when i see you smile i had number one and number two and, and wasn't when i see you smile sitting at number one uh, before blame it on the rain knocked it out of the number one spot yeah it did it knocked it right out and yeah yeah and i and i wrote both <laughs> songs myself and i don't think that's happened amazing you know start to see that type of success we, we always look at that and we say oh if only you know it seems like a dream but I know that that could also feel like a sense of external pressure on a writer to try to keep up that pace I don't think about it I just I don't I mean it, that was a that was obviously a really great year <laughs> um so so it, it, that doesn't feel like pressure to you like man I gotta you no gotta I don't do think about it like that I just I go on to the next song Wow. You know? So I should just shut up about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't because you can't, you can't, you know, a lot of that's outside of your control. So you yeah. can't really, yeah. you know, trip on it too much, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I always feel kind of bad for the songwriters with the Millie Vanilli thing because that was a great record and that's great songs. We did pretty damn well. Don't feel bad for <laughs> no, us. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that whole like sort of scandal thing happened. It's like, well, they're still great songs no matter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that, that like that's one of my favorite songs I ever wrote, and then that whole album had a lot of great songs on it. So you uh, you probably should not feel bad for the songwriters. You should probably <laughs> feel bad for the singers, and hopefully right. they were compensated yeah. at some point. Yeah. That that song in particular travels through some really interesting kind of chord changes. And if you oh yeah, like it changes cool, keys right you know, in the middle, half step. Yeah, because my hands slip. Oh really? <laughs> what? For real? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's that's the and then if you ever if you want to see it, hear a really cool version of it, um, Fantasia and Sam Moore did a really cool cool version of that song. Wow! Because I always saw that as a, as a soul song. This episode of Songcraft is sponsored by the new Taylor GT. Smaller size, bigger sound, serious fun. More and more guitar players want the comfort of a smaller acoustic guitar without having to skimp on sound, and that's especially true of songwriters who are often thinking about both portability and great quality. That led our friends over at Taylor Guitars to design a whole new class of guitar that could deliver on both fronts. Their latest release, the fun-to-play new GT, combines the fast, slinky feel of a compact acoustic with a rich, full-bodied voice that sonically punches above its weight class. 
Discover why Guitar Player Magazine called the GT one of the easiest playing guitars they've ever had their hands on and gave it their Editor's Pick Award. You can learn more about Taylor's new GT models at taylorguitars.com or take one for a spin at a Taylor dealer near you. As we move into the early 1990s, we see huge pop hits like I Get Weak for Belinda Carlisle and Look Away for Chicago. Um, But one of the artists you had particular success with was Cher, who scored hits with Just Like Jesse James, Love and Understanding, and If I Could Turn Back Time. I understand that if I could turn back time was one that Cher didn't actually want to record at first. Didn't know she hated it and despised it and hated me for trying to make her do it. And then I literally held her leg down in the studio until she said she would at least try it. And when I said I'd pay for the track, just, you know, so she had nothing to lose, she said yes. (laughs) So that one worked out. But she, if I didn't go to the, the lounge at Village Recorders on that day, and see her in the lounge and literally get on my knees and hold her leg down, that's, that n- never would have happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> see, I'm, I'm always amazed by this, you know, you know, there's sort of a self-assuredness, you know, to, to insisting like you did. Is that something that's always been a part of your personality or did it come with success? No, I, no, no it didn't come with success. I was kind of like that before I had a right to be like that. But <laughs> no, but when I believe, you know, everybody, anybody that knows me knows, you know, I'm like a pit bull. I just don't. I don't let go, you know, when, when I really believe. But uh, an ironic share story is is it, she. I did. A, I wrote a song called um, "You Haven't Seen the Last of Me" that I won the right. Golden Globe for for burlesque, and it was a number one record, a number one dance record for Share. And she right. did like what I did <clears throat> with um with if I could turn back time, because the 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 director hated the song and wanted to take it out of the movie, and she was like, you know, if you take even if you even test that movie without the song in it. I'm, you'll never see me again after the movie's over, and I'll never wow. do any press or any promotion. So she did the same thing I did yeah. <laughs> for my other song. Cher <laughs> pulled a Diane Warren. Yeah, she did. She did. I, taught, I taught her well. <laughs> right. Kind of similar to, to, to Paul's question, but a, a bit of a different spin on that is... So you, you've sort of had that um, assuredness, you know, from the beginning. But talk a bit about the the instinct of knowing okay, this song matches this artist, and I know it even if the artist doesn't know it. I mean, where does, where does that sort of matching come? It's just a, I can't explain it. It's just a feeling. It's, just, it's like, it's, I always say it's like casting a movie, too. You know, like you just, you know, sometimes you might, sometimes it's just like, oh, yeah, that's just obvious. And then sometimes it might be like, like let's, let's cast somebody that's totally against type, you know? Yeah. I've done that, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and this wasn't even me, but when Steven Tyler did, I don't want to miss a thing. That that's an I I didn't do that casting. That that wasn't me that got Aerosmith. Um, that was Kathy Nelson who was working on Armageddon. Um, and but that was you know who who would have thought Aerosmith singing that song? But that was the perfect going against. It's I mean, perfect, right? I mean, you know, Steven Tyler, this this rock guy with tattoos, and you know, it would be the last song you'd probably think that he would 
sing, but that's why it worked. As we look back at some of these hits from the 80s and 90s, you know, some of those productions sound of their time. You, you can tell that they came out in the era that they did. Um, but the actual songs sound like something that could be recorded by any artist today. Um, and that, of course, speaks to the strength of the songs and the fact that, you know, they're not written as productions, but as compositions. And there is a difference there. Um, and I kind of think of you in that regard as belonging to the Brill building tradition of songwriting. That's maybe, uh, being lost, you know, where the, the songs come first and then the production is a whole separate process. I, I, I think of myself, I think I'm the, like a direct descendant of, of, of that era. That's, yeah. I love that era. I love those writers. I love that whole, you know, I sit, I basically sit in my own cubicle, you know, <laughs> like how those right, writers yeah. did, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's so many there's so many writers today where it's like production and writing go hand in hand, which is certainly one way of doing it. But right. it also makes it a a, a bit of a, a a time bound process versus kind of that timeless tradition. Yeah, I'll I'll go I'll go with timeless. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's yeah. it's like a it's like a great um, it's like a great suit. You know, you just might have just to fit it a little bit, and it, it just you could always wear it. You know, you mentioned I Don't Want to Miss a Thing a moment ago, and that shares something in common with another of your massive hits, How Do I Live? Both songs were written for movies, uh, Armageddon and Con Air, respectively. Both were number one hits. Both were nominated for a Grammy for Song of the Year. Both were nominated for Oscars for Best Original Song, and both were simultaneous pop and country hits by separate artists. Um, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing was Aerosmith's only number one hit and also a number one country hit for Mark Chestnut. And How Do I Live, of course, was a pop hit for Leanne Rimes and a country hit for Trisha Yearwood. Um, tell us a bit about how all that happened. How Do I Live, the irony on that is it was basically really released by two country artists. You well, know, yeah, for sure. You know, Leanne Rimes, you know, she had just won Best New Artist at the Grammys, but she was essentially a country artist, you know. And yeah. her and Trisha Yearwood, it's kind of a long story, but... You know, Leanne, you know, did it for the movie, and Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer, wanted something changed, and Leanne's dad wouldn't change, was her co-producer, wouldn't change it, and so Jerry, you know, put Trisha in there, and, you know, and I kind of talked my curb into releasing Leanne's version at the same time, because I loved, I loved that record, you know? So they, they both came out at the same time, and actually they both, they both were big hits. I mean, in, in Billboard, to this day, How Do I Live is the number one female song of... of last what 50 or 60 years
And Trisha, you know, she ended up winning a Grammy, you know, for Best Female Country Vocal. She sang right. on the Oscars because it was in the movie. You know, and then, yeah. and then in different parts of the world, different versions became hits, the, the hit. So it all, it all kind of worked out. Yeah, and I think Leanne sang it on the Grammys the year that Trisha won the yes. Grammy for the same. Yes, it's true. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was pretty funny. Right. That like, has wait. to feel good as a songwriter. Yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you, you you talk about songs, you know, finding success in two different spots. Uh, Unbreak My Heart did the same thing, not with country, but you've got a number one for Tony Braxton in 97, and then in the UK, number one in 2005 for Il Devo. Unbreak my heart, say you love me again. Undo this hurt cause when you walked out the door and walked out of my life, uncry these tears. I cried so many nights. Unbreak my heart, my heart. What do you think is special about that song? Is there anything about writing it that you remember in particular? Um, you know, it just, it's one of those songs, um, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a great song. It's, it's one of those kind of forever, you know, someone else will have another version that'll be a hit. Yeah. You know, I mean, actually someone should probably do it now. It's been about 20 years or 10 years or whatever. Um, it's just, you know, a great song lives forever. Yeah. And just those, those key changes and that melody and there was something really magical about that song. Yeah. You know, the guitar on that song is so distinctive. Um, do you tend to write exclusively on piano or do you write on guitar as well? I write on both. I write on both. Is that guitar part in Unbreak My Heart something that you came up with as uh, part of the writing process or was that something um, that they came up with in the studio? Yeah, yeah. It was a guitar sound I was using. Yeah. Well, speaking of that kind of Spanish guitar... Um, I'd like to hear Speaking more. of Spanish guitar, I did a song for Tony Braxton called Spanish Guitar. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and I love that just as much as Unbreak My Heart. <laughs> that would have been the perfect segue. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of the Spanish guitar, uh, I'd like to hear more about that influence because you've had a number of, of top 10 Latin hits, including, uh, forgive my pronunciation here, but Quien Eres Tu by Yuri, uh, Puedes Ligar by Voices Unidas. Uh, Refugio de Amor by Vanessa Williams and Cheyenne, Miss Me So Bad by Son of Four, and uh, Me Premier Amor by Cheyenne also. Um, is your approach to the process of songwriting any different when you're stretching into a completely different field or, or a different genre like that? No, I just, I, I, I like it. I don't approach it. To, I mean, God, there was this group I had a really big hit with like about, I can't remember the name. Oh, it's called... Two or more. I can't remember the group that did it, but I love that record. But um, it was in English. It was in Spanglish. It was really a good song. Um, but yeah. um, I just, I, there's some great singers in the Latin world, you know, and I, I love kind of writing those kind of melodies. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, Rhythm of the Night really was a, my first hit was pretty much a Latin kind of song. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote, you know, um, with Gloria Estefan, we wrote um, Live for Loving You. Was It was a big hit for her. Um, I've done a lot of stuff. I'm doing, working with, with Latin artists now. I just did a really great song on Luis Fonsi, Luis Fonsi for my album, for my Features yeah. album. And I can't wait 
for people to hear that because I think it's a big hit. So I'm yeah I'm always working. I'm, I'm working with Santana, you know right yeah. now. How cool yeah, is that? Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> pretty cool. I mean he just he just did a song. He's doing a song for my for the features album. We're just trying to figure yeah. out who's singing it. And then I gave him a song for his album that he just did. Coming back to that idea of song casting, when you're writing, do you tend to cast the song in your mind and write, you know, with a particular artist in mind as you're creating, or do you tend to write in more of a vacuum and then figure out where a song should land after it's done? No, I mean, I'm doing when I'm writing something, I don't, you know, I don't write with somebody in mind because I, I want the song to be great just as as it is. I don't want to like mold it for one person, but you know, it, it obviously it it kind of becomes clear like who would be. A, real, a good artist for that. And then sometimes yeah. it could be all over the place. Like I could be writing something and I could think of, you know, a country artist and an R&B artist and then, well, if you did it this, you know, I mean, put a rapper on it. I don't know, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's always different, yeah. but yeah. Uh, my wife and I the other night were um, sitting on the couch and she said, who are you guys interviewing Monday um, on Songcraft? I said, Diane Warren. And she said, uh, what does she write? And I rattled like like 20 titles off all of which she knew and oh, wow. she looks at me and she says so so basically my shower singing repertoire <laughs> oh I'm I love like, that god that's true I'm like my nice. wife sings in the shower all the time and now that I think about it they're all freaking Diane Warren songs. I love it like, <laughs> I love it she probably sounds better than me singing them. <laughs> <laughs> well it made me think though you know that the songs that she kind of gravitates to are these highly singable like great melodies you know and you've written so many songs by artists that are so iconic that you know you don't even have to say their last name Celine Mariah Reba Whitney you know, and it, it got me thinking as much as you've done, as much as you've accomplished, as many artists who have recorded your songs, is there an artist that you've that hasn't recorded one of your songs that you've always been like, I really want to hear that person sing one of my songs? You know, there's not like one artist, you know, someone the other day was saying you should do a song with Tony Bennett. I'm like, God, that would be kind of cool. So now I'm thinking I should do, I should do something. That would be a, a pretty cool person to have do my song. Like, yeah. but you know, I mean, I, I mean, this year, I mean, I well, on Wednesday it's going to be announced a, a, an artist that did a song of mine, and with along with these other artists that are, I can't believe are on a song I wrote. But I'm not supposed to say anything yet because the press release isn't out. But I'm kind of blown away. Just, there's two artists singing on it that were that if the if the ten year old me would have known that that would have happened. Like, I don't even know what that 10 year old would have done. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, Songcraft listeners, we're going to break the fourth wall here just for a moment. Since this interview was recorded a few weeks ago, we can now reveal that the song Diane was talking about was Here's to the Nights, which features Paul McCartney. Now we get why having two Beatles sing one of your songs would be a little mind blowing. I think we would probably it would take less time to list the artists who have not done one of your songs than the artists who have. At yeah, this it's kind of and this year probably more than more than any of them. You know, more more yeah. than ever. Yeah. Herbie Hancock just did a song of mine that Miguel is singing. 
And then, to you know, Justin Bieber just did a song. So it's like I'm all over the place. And Reba McIntyre just did a new song. Well, that's very cool. Um, you mentioned Stand Up for Something a while ago, the Grammy and Oscar-nominated song that was written for the film Marshall. Um, and that song represents a bit of a thematic emphasis for you that has emerged in recent years. Um, maybe starting with the Lady Gaga recording of Till It Happens to You for the 2015 documentary film The Hunting Ground, um, which won an Emmy and was also nominated for both a Grammy and an Oscar. Uh, the film and the song deal with the difficult subject of sexual assault. And it seems that in recent years, you've tackled more social and political issues with songs like This Is For My Girls, a star-studded Michelle Obama single, um, I'll Fight, another Oscar-nominated song that Jennifer Hudson performed for the film RGB, um, and The Change, recorded by JoJo and released as part of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's uh, Get Out the Vote campaign. Uh, in what ways does your art create a platform to address issues that are important to you? Well, to, to me, it's not political, you know, because it could be like I'm not I don't consider these songs political. I mean, stand up for something is whatever you want it to be. I mean, you can make it political. Even the change, you know, wasn't even though they, they adopt they've adopted the song. It's not a political song. It's I'm, I'm going to be the change. I'm going to start with my heart. It's, got, it's about, you know, taking responsibility and. and you know, for, for changes you want to make, um, you know, till it happens to you. I mean, till it happens to you is not political, you know, I mean, they're, they're deeper. They're, um, yeah, they, they're, they're not just love songs. Although I love writing love songs. I love writing, you know, dumb pop songs. Like I wrote, you know, me and Gaga wrote, you know, why did you do that? You know, I'm responsible right. for why'd you come around here with an ass like that? You know, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> so I could, so I could do, you know, I could do that and, you know, and then, you know that was uh that was from a star is born yeah right? that's the one that, yeah. that that bradley cooper's character you know basically hates her for right. and i didn't <laughs> right. I, I hadn't seen the song in the movie before i saw the movie i'm like oh great i'm i'm the reason why you know their, their relationships going to shit <laughs> <laughs> that's funny Speaking of music from movies, uh, so many of your classics are connected with movies, and that was certainly true with Because You Loved Me, How Do I Live, and I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. But as we move into the 2000s, 2010s, and even now in the 2020s, that has been a consistent theme. Um, in addition to the film songs we noted in that last question, we see Oscar nods from Music of My Heart from the film of the same name. There You'll Be, which Faith Hill recorded for Pearl Harbor. Grateful uh, from Beyond the Lights. And I'm Standing With You from Breakthrough, which was an Academy Award nominee in 2020. Through whatever you go through. I'd be curious to know how you established yourself as the go-to writer for film songs, but also to hear a bit about your process as you prepare to write something that you know will accompany a specific movie. I mean, but to answer the first question, how did I get you know, involved in writing songs for movies. I mean, you know, Rhythm of the Night, my first hit was from The Last Dragon, right? So, um, you know, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now was from Mannequin. So I, I've always kind of had songs, these these big songs and, and movies, you know, from from way back. And yeah, it, to answer the second question, 
you know, if I can see something, you know, I, I prefer that. But then someone could just tell me the concept. That That's happened with Jerry Brockheimer telling me, you know, what he wants at the end of um, of Armageddon, basically, you know, yeah. what what kind of feeling and telling me the story, you know, or it could be, you know, reading a script. Yeah. Paul and I were just talking earlier about, you know, we honestly couldn't think of another songwriter who has done what you've done in terms of sustaining, you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, now the 2020s or whatever we're calling this. <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever they are. You know what's weird? I was I was I realized my with my last Oscar nomination, which was earlier this year, I think I've had Oscar nominations in 5 decades. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, it's it's incredible to see somebody who you know, had that kind of success in the 80s and 90s. But at the same time, we're still seeing, you know, Born to Be for Justin Bieber, Silver Lining, Jesse J, Till It Happens to You, Lady Gaga. I mean, you know, even, you know, I Was Here, Beyonce, Your Only Love Can Hurt Like This for Paloma Faith. These are the biggest artists of today. You've managed to somehow, like, keep working with the biggest artists yeah, for all these years. Yeah, you can't get rid of me. Years. Can't get rid of me. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, what... Me. what what do you attribute to that sustained success? Because it is unusual. I mean, I I think it's it's staying current. You know, that's part of it because you always have to stay current. Um, and then also, I'm you know, I think it. I think the quality of my songs are good. You know, I mean, I I, I try to keep my the quality a high quality. You know, and, and it's cool when people who are songwriters do my songs. You know, Willie Nelson yeah. did one a couple of years ago. You know, John Legend right. on my album. You know, um, you know so. And a lot of other examples as well, you know, that, that, that don't really need me. So that's always a pretty cool thing too. Yeah. 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 I mean, one thing about you and you read any article or interview about you and, you know, it's almost like a cliche at this point, the, the, the writer of the article has to demonstrate, you know, how hard you work, but it's true. You do work very hard. You put in a lot of hours every day and, and, um, you know, which, which kind of makes me go, how do you, where do you find the time to to stay current on music and to to find new inspiration for for all these great ideas? I know I just do it. I don't, I don't think about it. I'm, I'm I listen to stuff that I, I like to you know know what's going on. So I, mm. I do listen. Yeah. And then I just I don't know I, I don't know I I always say my process is I always say the same thing when I'm asked about my process, which is I show up. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. It's really simple. Well, and that's that's really a a big part of it, isn't it? I mean, that, yeah. And it, but it's an anything, isn't it? It's not even just. Yeah. In your work, it's if you want something to work, you show up for it. Well, I think there's a misconception when it comes to the arts, and that's one of the reasons that we've always kept the word craft in our song craft, because it's not just about getting struck by inspirational lightning when you're driving around, although that's important. It, but there is something to just actually sitting down and, and plying your trade and saying, I'm going to spend the time on this and put in the work, you know, over time. And, and it is something, it's like you said before, you know, you, how did you learn? Well, you learned by doing it. And how do you stay current? You stay current by continuing to do it. Yeah, there you go. It's very simple. Um, it? You know, looking over your career, can you tell us, I'd love to hear on the two ends of the spectrum, a, a well-known song that came really, really quickly, just almost fell out of your mouth and your fingertips versus a well-known song that, that we would know that took a lot more work, effort, and time. I mean, they all take a lot of work. I remember, like you ta- you brought up I Was Here. The, uh, Beyonce and, recorded. You know, that was a song that... that kind of wrote itself yeah you know that was a that doesn't happen a lot i want to leave my footprints on the sands of time 
same No, there was something that meant something that I left behind When I leave this world, I'll leave no regrets Leave something to remember so they won't forget I was here You know, I'm not one of those people that writes a song in, in 10 minutes and the whole song's done. Mm. You know, I take too much time to, you know, perfect it. Yeah. Is there ever a point where you just say, I, I'm just going to let this idea go. I don't think I can, I don't think I can finish it. No, I usually don't even get into something unless I'm, I really yeah. want to go all the way with it. This is probably an unanswerable question because it's about instinct. Yeah, go on. It's more about instinct than anything else, but... How how do you know when like okay I it's done? I've, I've I know it's point. done. And does that make it difficult if like let's say a label wants adjustments? I mean, you know, yeah. Sometimes someone will want to change something, and you know, it's just um, you know, I, I mean, you know, it, when when you know you have to, it, it's a collaborative process like with an artist, so they might want to change a word or two and their name yeah. on it. no i'm just kidding <laughs> hopefully hopefully not um you know or if someone wants to you know especially in a movie situation they might want me to you know change something and and i you know and i realize that i'm in the service of their movie so mm. i have to be open yeah yeah well let's let's bring it back to the new album the cave sessions volume one you've partnered with all kinds of incredible performers john legend yeah. Celine dion mary j plies jason drulo we could go on and on um talk a bit about how you kind of conceived of this project and, and put it together? I mean, it was a project that basically started because um, I did this great song, you know, on John Legend, you know, and he kept saying he was going to use it, and then he kept not using it. I kept giving it to other artists, and he kept wanting it back. And I'd give it to another artist, and he'd want it back. <laughs> and right. um, I thought, and, and the song is so great, and I just thought, you know what? I got to get, uh, you know, I got to get this song heard, you know? And I, I was thinking, and it was around the same time I was, I was seeing like what Mark Ronson does and all this stuff, and I thought, you know what? Like, why can't I be, you know, DJ Diane? Why can't I do what DJ Khaled hmm. does or Calvin right. Harris or Mark Ronson, you know, which is curating an album of my songs, right? Like, maybe I have a couple, you know, that are great that I want to get, that, I, that, you know, for whatever reason the world hasn't heard yet. Sure. And then, oh, I have these songs I really love. What if I put this song with this person and this song with this person? And um, like, like how it happened with times like this, when I wrote the song, I, I really heard Darius Rucker in my head. You wow. Because you know, his, his voice is like, you know, I always say his voice is like comfort food. You know, it's like an old friend. Yeah. You know, and, you know, w what's the best voice to get this message out and the song out? And I kept hearing Darius, I, but I didn't know him. And so I got his number, his manager's number from my friend and, you know. We had a Zoom call, which is ugh, the new <laughs> right? <laughs> and I, I sat at the piano, and I, I, yeah, I played him the song, and he, he loved it, and sent him a track, and he did it. So that was so cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's how that happened. And then there's other songs. And, and this album is changing. Like, there's about seven songs that are for sure, seven or eight songs. Mm. But, but I keep writing new ones and, and going, well, wait, what about, I want this for so-and-so. <laughs> and, 
you know, when there's a new artist I really like and I'm, I'm giving her a song that just kind of happened. So I want her on my album. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and some, some other things. And, you know, what, when I th- when I think about the process of putting this Cave Sessions album together, I imagine the phone calls went like something like this: "Hi, this is Diane Warren." Yes. <laughs> well, it's not always like that, but but people were pretty receptive yeah. with us. I have to say. Yeah. So, uh, was this a situation where uh, you you had songs that were written and you said, "Okay." this song needs to to go with this artist or was it more about like hey i want to work with this artist and let's figure out which song it's is both. best fit it's both hmm. i had songs i really love and again it, it kept changing like i'd have one person and i'm you know like right now there was supposed to be someone that was on it last week i'm going no i want to i want to i think i want to you know exchange i want to put someone else on in their place so i keep it keeps kind wow. of you know yeah, it's like a shiny new toy. Oh no, I want this one. <laughs> so, you know, but but there are like about like I said, like, and there's like about seven. You know, it's probably it has twelve songs on it or yeah. something. Yeah. That's volume one, so I could some of these things. You know, these great songs. Maybe there's a deluxe. You yeah. Know? Right. Right. Now, when you 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 sort of compared yourself to playing the role of the Mark Ronson or DJ Khaled, do you actually sing on the album or is it all other? No, I'm not. You know, I'm singing backgrounds on on Darius Rucker though. Mm-hmm. Me and Peter Stengard, who produced it, we're, we're both singing songs uh, on it. Right. You know, but um, but this is yeah. If, you know, I'm not. It's 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 my album, but I'm not doing any of the work. Really. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right. You're the ringleader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you you uh, talk about how you're not somebody who spends time, you know, doing a lot of looking back. You prefer to look forward. Which no, is, I never. Which look, is, my rearview mirror is cracked. Right. <laughs> which is <laughs> which is probably the answer to the question of of why you have continued to stay at the top of your game all these years. But, yeah, um, you know, if th- this is a, this is a looking back question, if, you know, someone said, hey, Diane, we're going to we're going to create a time capsule. We want you to put one of your songs in it. It's going to be opened in 500 years. And that's going to be the song that's going to tell the world who Diane Warren was. It would have to be I was here. Right. Mm, that's perfect. Yeah. Now the question is, what format is that song going to be on? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, will there be music? Like a, will there, I mean, I hope so. it has to be. Drive. It has to be cassette. I, I heard that you still work with cassettes. Is that true? I still do. I have a walk. I work with my Walkman and cassettes. I just, I just didn't change it. You know, right? I, just, I know it's there. Well, then let's put it in the time capsule on a cassette. Let's. <laughs> yeah, we'll put the time. Well, yeah, sounds... we'll put it on a cassette in there. <laughs> I'm impressed that you're still able to buy cassettes. That's. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh... <laughs> or did you just yeah, buy I know. like? I, know. I got a, a bunch of them. them. <laughs> we could find Walkman. She's been recording over the same cassette over and over again yeah i tend to do that well this is uh this has been great to uh to speak with you diane congratulations on the on the new record and uh, certainly a, a catalog uh uh with with no equal so it's an honor for us to speak thank with you. you and i'm just getting started so uh, awesome. <laughs> thanks thank you good love to it. talk to you guys thanks for listening we'd love to stay connected with you so please take a moment to subscribe to songcraft via apple podcasts spotify or your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting other potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com and find out how to help support us at patreon.com songcraftshow. And you can follow us on social media by searching for Songcraft Conversations on Instagram and Songcraft Show on Facebook and Twitter. And finally, be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network 
at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.